Today's show is sponsored by Okta, the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's identity cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O K. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just Aaron for the news this week, and uh, we are heading into the end of May. And what we cover here is a lot of the emerging trends and, and a lot of the startups and acquisitions and funding rounds and the like, but a little bit different this week. We're going to jump into electric cars, or more specifically, electric trucks for our first uh, news article. Actually, it's two. Um, so here in the States, of course, um, you know, we, we love our pickup trucks and we love our Jeeps and, and SUVs. And um, Tesla, of course, has had, you know, very large success uh, with all of the various models um, over the years. But now Ford is getting into the game as well. Ford F-150. And for those of you not familiar with it, that is, of course, the big pickup truck, the Ford F-150 Lightning uh, was introduced kind of a prototype. Uh, they are planning to manufacture this coming up in two different models, um, pretty much exactly like a Ford truck and at a super affordable price as well. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, how this takes off in the market. One other thing to note as well, it, it's a truck that does a zero to 60 in about four seconds. <laughs> so very, very fast truck as well. And the second part of that, uh, Jeep um, came out with a prototype uh, Jeep Wrangler all electric called the Magneto. And so first of all, props to them for a really, really cool name. But it is a prototype that they um, brought to one of the big Jeep shows um, out west in Moab, Utah specifically. And, you know, I follow the Jeep community as well. So I saw this as super interesting. Uh, a couple things that's interesting here. It's only a two-door. Um, and and what they basically did is they just swapped out the engine and it still does about the same horsepower, um, still has about the same power. You know, a lot of the electric cars are known for, you know, super torque and going really fast. Um, this one doesn't. Uh, this one is more of a rock climber, uh, without a doubt. But it is heavy, really heavy, um, coming in at about 5,800 pounds. That's about 1,300 pounds um, heavier than, say, the Rubicon, which is the, the top model Jeep as well. Um, still has, you know, the Dana 44 axles and everything else like that for all the Jeep enthusiasts out there. So pretty solid thing. And we'll see if this one actually makes it into production or not over time. For our second article, um, we're going to talk about Netflix for a little bit. We've, of course, talked to them, excuse me, talked about them 
uh, many times in the podcast and, you know, all the tools and, and some of the methodologies they've done. But now they're thinking about getting into the video games industry. It's unclear exactly what that means. Is this like the uh, Bandersnatch one where it was kind of a bit of a choose your own movie or choose your own TV? Is it like that? Is it more like the Stranger Things spinoff game that they did once upon a time? Is it like uh, like Google Stadia, um, which I, I'm actually a member of, where it's streaming uh, games live um, over the internet as well? It's kind of unclear uh, what they mean by that, but uh, I will say it's a it's a pretty tough market right now, and so it'll be interesting what their plans are and if they plan to approach this maybe a little differently this time. For our last article, um, Twitter. Twitter is really working on monetization. It's interesting to me the ways in which they're going about monetization. If you follow Twitter at all, you've seen uh, things about Twitter Blue, which is potentially a uh, paid-for service, you know, subscription service with the ability to maybe do some extra features within Twitter. Uh, but there's also um, something out called Spaces and Think of this as um, a virtual space, a, a virtual event with tickets, and you'll be able to charge for that. Apple and Google, of course, take their cut, uh, but then Twitter will take another 20%, and then you will get the rest. And it will be interesting to see how this works, what kind of events will come out of this, um, but there is some limitations to it. It is currently only in the United States, um, and uh, the amount of followers you have to have, there's a clip level and, and things like that. Interested to see where this goes and interested to see where the Twitter monetization model uh, goes as well going forward. So with that, we're going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week and go into talking about serverless again this week. Um, Datadog specifically did their state of serverless, and we're going to be talking to Steven Pinkerton right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. You know how much we value ongoing education on the Cloudcast, and CBT Nuggets is exactly what Aaron and I wish we had when we were trying to get our certification early in our careers. CBT Nuggets is all about bringing a personalized touch to learning about cloud computing, virtualization, networking, DevOps, and much, much more. Whether it's their hands-on labs with personalized coaching or the online chat functions that come up with every instructor-led course, CBT Nuggets' team of experts is always there to help you get the most from your training and your PASA certification. You can check it all out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast and sign up for a free trial. You get access to the full catalog of great training, including virtual labs, quizzes, and other premium features completely free for the first seven days. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Be proactive with your monitoring strategy and catch issues before your clients are impacted. Start managing the overall health of your environment with a free Datadog trial. Go to datadog.com slash cloudcast for the free trial. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, uh, you know, as you know, you know, one of the topics that uh, we always get a ton of feedback on is uh, is serverless. And so today we're going to talk a little about serverless, which means we're going to be 
talking about the future. Uh, Aaron, I am a little worried about you, though. Uh, you sent out a tweet today asking about when it was okay to put away Christmas stuff. Are you, are you living in the past, man? Well, not just living in the past. I, I was told it, it, it brings my wife joy. Ah, so you're so, just leaving so, your Christmas stuff up all year long. Yes, exactly. And, and more specifically, the Christmas cards. Uh, all, the, all the rest of the Christmas stuff, but which, by the way, we completely admit we have issues in our house with Christmas decorations. There's actually shelves in the garage built for all the Christmas decorations. All of that is put away. The Christmas cards are still up. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to leave your, your Christmas issues between you and Kim to yourself. We're not going to debate those here on the show. And uh, we're going to, we're going to focus on the future because we get to not only talk to our good friends over at Datadog who, uh, you know, have been not only great sponsors for a long time, but always, uh, you know, bring us lots of smart stuff, but we get a chance to talk to our friend, Steven Pinkerton, uh, product manager at Datadog. Steven, uh, first off, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to be back. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but last year when we did the state of serverless, when the, the 2020 serverless report came out, uh, you came on, we had a great show. Um, yours was the most listened to show last year. So I don't want to put any pressure on you, but you better bring your A game today. Uh, <laughs> people expect excellence out of you. I'm a tough act to follow, I guess, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, welcome back to the show. Um, you know, you guys have been doing, you do a lot of, uh, of trending reports. You do container one, uh, you've done serverless, serverless, uh, we were on last year, but just for folks who maybe didn't get a chance to listen to that show, uh, give them a little bit of your background, the things you focus on at Datadog, and then, uh, we'll kind of jump into the, the serverless report. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm a product manager at Datadog. been here a little bit more than two years. Um, my team helps our customers get visibility into their applications that run on technologies like Lambda, Step Functions, Lambda at Edge, um, and kind of all those adjacent serverless technologies integrations that people are using. And I've probably said and typed serverless more than most people over the last couple of years because my past (laughs) job before this was also working on serverless at Cloudflare. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. Well, um, yeah. So Aaron, you want to jump into this? Yeah, I was just going to say, so so this is the second year of the serverless report. Um, and, and Brian and I kind of dug through it and, and it's really, really fascinating, but I think it's good to give everyone like, let's step back for a second. Tell us a little bit about the scope, the methodology and how the, the report itself kind of comes into being. We conducted this report because thousands of organizations use Datadog every day to monitor their serverless apps. And this puts us in a unique position to understand how people are actually building real workloads on serverless. Um, so we have an idea of what production applications look like what the kind of emerging best practices are. Um, And we started doing these reports around um, containers and architectures that developers are building on top of containers a couple of years ago. And they ended up being really popular just since we sit at the intersection of so much interesting data on how developers are actually building things. The patterns and architectures that teams are building with serverless are constantly changing. And we wanted to share this research with the broader community. For example, we saw Lambda functions get more invoked this year compared to last year and the year before. And we saw step functions become an even more critical part of more types of workloads. Compared to our methodology last year, we still looked at all Datadog customers. Um, We looked at those who are using at least five serverless functions across the different clouds um, just to rule out any single functions that are uh, just used for a test. Um, And then compared to last year, we also added Azure and Google into the mix to get an idea of how um, how developers are adopting these function as a service products in different clouds as well. 
Yeah, well, and, that, and that's one of the things that we we really like about the surveys that you guys put out is, uh, you know, obviously lots and lots of companies do surveys. There's a state of DevOps report, the CNCF one, you know, does one every year or multiple every year. And, and I feel like those sometimes kind of tend to bias sometimes people feel like, oh, like what, what should, what answer should I be answering about this, about, you know, how fast my company's moving or how much new stuff you guys, all of all the things that you do is all based on actual live workloads, which again, there's, you know, a, it's great that we're seeing live data, but, but B, uh, you know, there, there is no way to sort of, you know, cheat the system or bias the system. This is all based on, um, you know, people, you know, using not only your system to, to help monitor stuff, but, you know, real live applications. I think that's really, really important to consider. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a very cool place to be. And we get to talk to these customers doing all kinds of stuff with serverless, big and small. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the overall growth um, of, of serverless. And and obviously, uh, you know, we, we talk about it, we see new capabilities coming along, but like, as as you're kind of analyzing the market, like who's who's using it more? Uh, you know where where are they where are they consuming it? Right, like you mentioned that Google and Azure are now in the in the mix, and they're you know legitimately part of what you're measuring. Like, give us kind of a sense of how the market's just expanded year to year. Yeah, and the the simple answer is that everyone is using serverless. Every every type of organization is seems to be using it in some capacity, from startups to enterprises. And sometimes it's not the main thing that you're using to, to run workloads. Um, what we see a lot is like security and IT teams bringing Lambda in as kind of, kind of the first serverless product to power some internal applications and um, to glue data together between teams. Um, but then what we're seeing it expand, um, we, we see some other interesting patterns as well, like serverless actually kind of helping accelerate cl- uh, companies into the cloud. Um, so serverless technologies like Fargate are easier to like lift and shift workloads into. Um, and we see a pattern where some customers are doing that, but then developing their new workloads on top of Lambda. So they're able to get into the cloud easily, um, take advantage of you know other serverless technologies like DynamoDB or SQS, um, and then go further down into more function as a service products or these kind of a, a container as a service um, type of serverless products. Yeah, and then across other clouds, we see... We see other interesting use cases as well, where developers are, for example, on Azure using app service plans, this basically pre-provisioned capacity to run Azure functions and Azure web apps that are very similar from a development perspective to running on Lambda or something else, where you're not considering as much, uh, where you don't have to consider the scaling, for example, of of your serverless applications. You have the same very simple uh, development philosophy. When we look at Google, people have been using App Engine tried applications for years now, but Google's expanded it into cloud functions, into cloud run as well, and just changing the game for serverless, um, just in a way that you you run your code, but you can do it a little bit more flexibly depending on on your customers' needs. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And <clears throat> so if if I also look at the AWS Lambda data as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the data is kind of showing a trend and a, a bit of an evolution as well. So it looks like there's a you know a couple different things developing there, right? There's both shorter lived usage on average, and it's also being uh, used and involved in a broader set of use cases of via step functions. It, it looks like serverless and AWS Lambda 
is becoming more mainstream as it branches out. Is that kind of a correct way to look at that data and, and draw that conclusion? Yeah, that was our conclusion as well, that serverless is just solving more problems for people. And for on, on the side of the spectrum for shorter running functions, we see companies building more of their APIs and web applications on Lambda and function as a service products. And what's great here is that the actual runtime has been improving over time. So cold starts are becoming less noticeable for end users. When we look at the other side of the spectrum for longer running workloads, we talked a lot we, we talked to a lot of data engineering teams who are building pipelines and ETL jobs on top of serverless architectures because it means that they get more time to pull the insights that they need out of data and less time managing infrastructure. And then where we, where we see these products kind of melt into each other is, um, for example, when we look at step functions, you might have run an, an application or you might have run something on, on a step function and then wanted to express equally complex logic in a simple way for a real-time use case. Uh, and with, for example, step function express workflows, you can then run a, a web application or an application with more real-time limitations, but still express it in, in terms of a state machine. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting to see as these products that are designed for more shorter term or short running use cases become more flexible for using for longer running ones than the same in the opposite direction. Yeah. And it, Aaron, it, you know, to me, it, it, it kind of goes with a lot of patterns that we've seen in the past where, you know, if we went back a couple of years, uh, serverless was very, uh, you know, very tightly defined. It, it had to be sort of exactly this. It needed to be used for these kind of use cases and, and it keeps sort of expanding, right? Like we see sort of container images are sort of part of serverless. Now we see, you know, it, it starts faster. It supports more languages. It's out on the edge. It's, you know, it's, it's sort of, like we've seen in a lot of things, it it starts off in one sort of usage pattern and then people sort of like it and they go, well, why can't it do this other thing? Why can't it do this other thing? So that that seems very logical the way it's the way it's expanding. Um, you know, you mentioned, Stephen, you mentioned that uh, you know you're seeing these these data science teams, you know building pipelines and so forth. Um, you know, data scientists tend to love writing in Python. Um, you know, and and people love uh, every year whenever Redmond comes out with their language, uh, you know, list of which languages are the most popular. Um, what are the most popular languages? I saw that Python was sort of the most popular, but what are some of the most popular languages uh, that are being used for these containers? And does that sort of align as you would expect to the to the use cases? Yeah, this part of the data is always interesting to look into. Um, so similar to last year, we saw Python and Node just being the most popular runtimes by far. Um, although we did see a small decline in, in Node.js just compared to last year. Um, and when we dug into that, we kind of found that Node was really popular in smaller environments. But as we looked at large serverless environments from typically larger companies, we're just, we just see a little bit more Python um, in there. And so that could be this broader representation of like you have your data engineering team and your security team who are also using uh, Python to power their Lambda functions. Oh, it's always interesting to look at adoption of a new version of a programming language as well. So we still see a huge amount of usage, top five popular runtimes being Python 2, um, although we do, we do see a pretty significant trend of that going down 25% compared to last year. And then when we look at the other runtimes we haven't mentioned here, like Java and .NET and Ruby, um, we still see a good amount of companies using these, but we just see less of companies who are starting to use serverless for the first time um, to, to choose these runtimes. It's typically applications that they're bringing that are already built that they're carving into serverless functions or 
they're bringing into a function as a service environments who are, who are running these. Um, the, the companies that we talk to who are architected on serverless from day one are typically picking uh, a runtime like Node or Python. Yeah, and that, and that makes sense. And it it's kind of always been that way. Um, and something else that I think is a really interesting trend is is again going back to Lambda um, and and billing, right? Like and like you mentioned the cold starts earlier, and I remember it was like, okay, how do you keep everything as warm as possible? And oh, by the way, that affects your billing a little bit, right? But but then you had had frameworks like like serverless and step functions and you know we we see increased adoption of those as well um but something that was surprising to me was was this lower rate of automation around serverless functions and so can you elaborate a little bit more about how all of that kind of comes together and in, in the trends from that yeah this was a big surprise to us because when we talk to serverless customers it seems like they're always talking about their cloud formation stacks using the serverless framework, using CDK. Um, and what we think is that, the what this data means is that many companies are still early in their serverless journeys. Um, and so um, they're using Lambda and other fast providers to power internal applications, but we're all still figuring out the best practices for integrating serverless into our organizations. For the companies that are embracing automation in their serverless application, we're typically seeing much more sophisticated applications being built on serverless. Um, and so these folks have more advanced CI/CD pipelines that they're building, um, much more distributed applications. They might be using Lambda Edge, um, and they're typically using a tool on top of just raw cloud formation like the serverless framework or SAM or CDK. And then interestingly enough, like we've seen a very fast adoption of CDK, especially among our customers who are using SAM. And I think it's kind of the logical next step where SAM is is one step above CloudFormation for many people, but CDK brings so many more guarantees to developers, even offering type safety for your infrastructure as code that just makes so much sense for developers to understand exactly what you're getting um, at deploy time. Yeah. I want to ask you one last question because I want to be conscious of your time and, uh, you know, um, folks can, we'll have, we'll have links in the show notes. Folks can really dig into the report. Uh, it, it goes into actually a lot more detail than we're kind of even covering here, but I want to ask you one last question. And, and, you know, you mentioned at the opening, uh, you know, previously you had, you'd worked at Cloudflare, uh, Cloudflare and, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, AWS just a week or so ago announced, um, uh, CloudFront, I think they call it CloudFront Edge, essentially bringing serverless to the edge. Cloudflare is, Cloudflare is bringing it to the edge. GitHub now has sort of you know worker capabilities built into the edge. Like, how are you starting to think about this expansion out to the edge? I mean, to a certain extent, it feels like logical because we're seeing more applications being deployed to the edge. People want to be closer to their their data. I, do you have sort of a, a unique way that you think about what's happening at the edge? Or are you seeing any interesting trends from a from a serverless perspective? Yeah, th this trend has been really interesting to follow. I think serverless and edge computing and Jamstack computing as well are just all a perfect pairing for each other. And, and it's why we see a lot of these providers offering similar tools and a lot of people moving in a, in a similar direction here where serverless makes sense for edge computing because as a developer, you want to write code that responds to some request that comes in. Um, what if you could put that code just geographically closer to all of your customers? That code's going to run faster. And you're already not thinking about how to scale that up in response to many requests. So if your CDN provider can 
run that code for you, then that's that's great. You have a better experience for your customers. They have lower latency. So that's kind of where the edge computing part I see fits in. And then um, with Jamstack computing, we're just running these like very lightweight, simple front ends that are hosted by our CDN. And then if we have a backend component, um, we're running that on as much serverless technology as we can just to keep our developer experience simple, to keep our applications lightweight um, and more secure. Um, so I think that's why we see some interesting developments from like Cloudflare worker sites, from Vercel, um, just some very interesting developments here. And I, I think that all of this is very tightly related. And I think the this edge computing is gonna move even closer towards full applications being run there as many of the use cases today are around customizing in-flight requests that have hit your CDN but aren't quite there at your origin application or the origin content might be uh, an update for a video game. It might be a static image file and you need to do something to modify that request before it gets there. And I think we're just going to continue to see more applications being shifted to the edge. Yeah. Well, and, and if folks are, are are going, hey, Jamstack, what's that? I'm not totally sure what that is. Uh, we did do a very cool show with the folks from NetFly uh, a couple uh, a few months ago. I'll put that link in the show note as well. So if you want to kind of dig into that, we did uh, a few sessions on that one as well. Aaron, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. You know, this is this is the second week we focused on serverless. Last week we focused uh, with Julian Wood from AWS. Um, we may be, you know, kind of kind of scratching the itch for folks who are, uh, you know, coming back to us for serverless. Any any last thoughts about the kind of the the state of the state of serverless report, or kind of your thoughts around serverless, man? Yeah, I, I would just simply say um, it, it's really good for our audience. Like we, we do kind of shift around in, in topics sometimes of like, Hey, we'll do a little AI and we'll do a little bit of, of serverless and we'll do a little, a little bit of Kubernetes. And, you know, hopefully that's what everyone, uh, you know, is enjoying, but I would also say, you know, going into, Hey, we always want to hear feedback. What, what do y'all want to know about? And so feel free to reach out to us, uh, um, especially through Twitter, um, is typically the easiest way to get a hold of us these days. Um, because we are really trying to explore these techniques technologies and take these a little bit further. And as Brian mentioned earlier, you know, the, the, the serverless podcast, admittedly, I mean, we get a good bit of interest in these. So we definitely, if this is something you're enjoying, let us know and, and we'll keep them coming. Yeah. Very cool. Steven, uh, as always, thank you for being on. Um, you know, I, I think you brought your a game again. You, you, you obviously know this space. We, we sort of jam packed a lot into 20 minutes and, uh, if nothing else, you know, you can, you can make your parents proud. You can let them know that, uh, there's a good chance this may be the number one show again, uh, for, for 2021. So <laughs> I'll let them know. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, Aaron, you want to wrap it up and take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you everyone for, for listening. And if you have a chance, um, we, we've been trying to uh, up our reviews a little bit. So wherever you're getting your podcast, if you have the ability to do a review, please do that for us. It certainly helps out with, uh, you know, the rankings and the ratings and everything like that. And like I mentioned, if there's something you want to hear or, or a guest potentially, let us know. We, we love that feedback as well. And so for Brian and myself, thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 